You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers. And we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. And we're back. (laughs) Morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? Mm, I'm I'm good. You know, I'm our listeners can't see this, but I'm looking out this big, beautiful window, and the day is gorgeous. The seasons seem to be changing. I hope they're not toying with us, and it's going to go back to hot and humid. But we've been really blessed with some beautiful weather these last couple of days, and I've been enjoying it. And it seems like today is no different. So I'm crossing fingers. This is is rolling, but I'm glad to be back on this with you. I, I'm excited about our guest today. Check-in wise for you, friend. We had a busy weekend. It was an extended weekend, so we had a busy one over here. My my son was planning to go to Morehouse. He's now taking a gap year because they went 100% virtual, and he and his best friend are taking classes at a local community college. They're working mostly full time. They've got a crazy schedule, and they're moving into my house. So. I I have a two-story loft and I've decided to leave my master bedroom and move myself up into the loft and the boys will be downstairs so they can have their own space and sort of feel like an apartment and kind of have some autonomy yet not pay any rent. I mean, they are paying actually a little bit. It's funny because I bet there are parents out here like, how are you managing? So I'm making them both pay me $200 a month. And then agree to terms, like what that looks like and how to respect my home and all this good stuff, right? Because they're adults or they want to be. And um, at the end of this, then I'm going to give them half of the money back. So it's kind of like I'm serving as a little bit of a saving for them. I keep 100 because I think that's life, right? But it's not much. That's what's happening at our house. We disrupted things. How are you? Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm sitting here just getting inspired. I'm like, I'm running the math on, I've got four kids. The oldest is, is seven too young to start charging rent. Never too young. They don't have $200 laying around, but I'm loving this model. And I think, I think we can do it proportional for age, right? Yeah. I can do that math. I can, I can come up with a number. There's definitely a formula out there. I'm sure. We'll drop it in the show notes. And this is going to turn into a financial health podcast. <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing good. Our family is thankful, loving the weather lately. It opens up a lot more possibilities for getting the kids outside, which I think is so good for not only their mental health, but my wife and I's mental health, our own sanity, just being able to get them in the sunshine, experiencing nature. And so got to get to do a little bit of that this past weekend. That's a lot of fun. We're just plowing around, taking it, taking it one day at a time. I'm excited. This podcast, when rhythms go away, Yep. And you don't have things that normally mark changing of seasons, even things like this podcast are, are rhythms for me that I think kind of help keep me sane, keep me, keep me mentally healthy of like, Hey, yeah, this is, this is a pattern that I'm in. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday morning. And, and this is when we record. <laughs> I'm with you. I definitely look forward to it because it creates anchoring. I keep using, I love that word. It's so true. Like, can we just be anchored in something? This podcast is that for me. I agree. Well, I think I'm as excited as I've ever been to talk to our guest today, Jess. This one's going to be fun. I know that we both 
know our guest today. You know her and have been walking and done life with her now for a while. And so this is this one's going to be a fun one. I, I'm really excited for our listeners to lean in to the work that's being done. So without further ado, I'm going to let you do the honors of welcoming our guest onto the show today. Oh, awesome. Love it. Thank you, Rob. And yes, this is this is a lot of fun when you have somebody that you're friends with that you're kind of admiring from afar, all the work that's going on. You're like, oh my God, this is perfect. And it's so perfect for the Just Podcast too. So it's my pleasure to introduce to our listeners, Kaziah Goodwin. Kate, are you on the phone? I am here. I am here. So excited to be here. So excited. You good? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. Again, our listeners can't see this, but she has this beautiful like landscape behind her. She looks very zen this morning, which I love. Like I'm getting energy. Yeah, it, it's a must at times. <laughs> this is my sacred place on my back porch. Yeah. Um, Kate, I was like, how old was I when we met? And I was 22 years old when we first met in Cincinnati, Ohio. So 22 years later, Kate and I find ourselves in the same market again. We're both in Durham. And she's doing yeoman's work, frankly, around education and justice. And I'm so proud of what she's been able to accomplish in the last like two years, really heavy lifting, right? Kate's been in this work for over 30 years in childcare and has always had a heart for equity in education and has been championing equity in education for a really long time almost on her own, from the YMCA to kinder care, all this work that she's done at high levels, at national levels throughout the years has been like championing this work and is now able to take it and make it her own and affect the young people and the families in our city in a way that frankly is a national model. And so we're really excited to have Kate on today because this isn't just a childcare story. This is about equity in education. This is an education and justice story. And it's about one person understanding that and bringing it to life so that a community can benefit. Kate, why don't you tell us your story and how you got here to this idea of prioritizing and building everything around education, justice, and equity? Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. You are absolutely one of my favorite people. We've been through a lot and I just appreciate the space that we continue to have as friends. As I've moved to your city that you uh, told me was so great and now I know it for sure <laughs> mm -hmm. from North Carolina. And to have Rob on the phone is just really excellent. His spirit of championing has been really great and it's made a lot of the work be focused and build a fire in my heart to continue to do the work. So the beginning is easily the love of children came about. I'm the youngest of nine. I have a twin brother. So we're the youngest of nine. And I think I was just a built-in babysitter that I've, I've said that a number of times, but I really mean <laughs> it. I was a built-in babysitter probably by the time I was five years old. <laughs> so back then there were no requirements. Just, you know, be able to keep the child breathing. I just knew just taking the patience and loving my nephews and nieces as I grew older. And then, of course, having my own children and my oldest, Daniel, my second oldest, Andrew, and my youngest daughter, Amanda. And once I had my own children and started this journey on putting them into educational settings with me, because I'm in early childhood, dragging them to, you know, the center, first the YMCA and then plenty of kinder cares. I learned so much through the experience first with my son, Andrew. 
I did a video not long ago talking about the teachers, even the teachers that were under my employment, how they had such a hard time understanding him. And it was hard for me to explain to them or understand for myself why there would be such a hard time. He was a great kid. He's got great energy. He's so loving. Why does it become so problematic in your classroom? So I really lived this work for many years in my career without naming it and then without having the support and acknowledgement that it was real. The journey was great. I've had so many experiences. Cultivating staff has been probably my biggest focus. And it really speared itself from that experience, right? Seeing all children as their individual selves, pulling out their genius on a regular basis, giving them space to love and learn without prejudice of their parents and how late they come in or if they don't pick up or if they're not dressed when they come in, some of our young moms. Or if they're going through a divorce, we're not picking sides, like just having a very authentic place for the mm. children to land without judgment. So I guess that work began so early on. And then going through that specific things with Andrew helped me to see that so many children like him, specifically Black boys, were being misrepresented. Their need to have a movement and language through music was being misinterpreted as behavior issues. And he was in early childhood. So that was kind of alarming. So I will fast forward for my wonderful 30-something years and the YMCA and kinder care, both establishments I love. And then moving on to being in kinder care on a district manager level, literally got to a point where it was a onset of the NACI conference coming in. And I was invited by Kate Jordan Downs, who's a great friend of mine and the head of education over at KinderCare. And she asked me to come and see this gentleman called Dr. Walter Gilliam. And within 10 minutes of doing the research on him, I realized that he just birthed all the verbiage, all the understanding of what I was going through with my son. And not only did he voice it through what he had done as far as his research, it legitimized and rolled into it being a focus for NAEYC. So our National Association for Young Children, we're now looking at his work and putting it on the front page, if you will, to say we must stop expelling our African-American boys in our systems because of the difference of learning. And we do have a problem with implicit bias. And so once I saw this research, I had to sit down like, what has <laughs> just happened? Somebody gave me words, like somebody made it valid. Somebody made it valid. And it was amazing. So we started this journey of really building programming that we're unapologetically talking about the implicit bias with the support of Kate and myself. We've done a lot of work in my curriculum at Kate's Corner. And so that kind of what lands me here, as passionate as I can be, is that I finally have a tool and a voice to kind of champion this work on in a very meaningful way. Mm, so good. I've heard this story so many times and I just love it every time I hear it. So good. So personal and also just like nationally, they're catching up to you, right? So I love it. I'm literally leaning into the computer mm -hmm. screen. Yep. You're hearing a story that is so moving and captivating. And I think the reason why, Kate, is this phrase you said earlier, you've lived the work mm -hmm. without having words to name maybe the problem until more recently, but it, this is deeply personal for you. Yeah. You witnessed with your own children. And I think it's important for our audience members because we've talked about the inequities 
in education that were pre-existing that are now being exacerbated by COVID. But really, right. you're, you're talking and naming about things like bias across lines of race that were not created by COVID. And you have been championing this work for a while. And now, I think even more importantly, to be able to continue to press forward as these divides and these gaps are worsening during this pandemic. I think you brought us up to the present moment really beautifully. And I don't know how you did it so succinctly. I mean, 30 years of being in this work. Tell us the story specifically about Kate's Corner. Tell us the story of how Kate's Corner came to be, the work that it does specifically, and the problem that you're working to solve. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) Kate's Corner. Kate is my nickname, which is given to me by my mother, who is my angel now, but was my best friend in our time with her on earth. And it was such an endearing sound to hear her call my name. So when I told her I was going to name my child care center Kate's Corner when I decided to open years ago, she thought that was so great. And I promise you, every time I saw my mother and father, even through my father's dementia, he never forgot. And everything, he he may not know that he was talking to me, but he'd be like, my daughter's doing Kate's Corner, right? <laughs> because Kate's Corner was all the things. How's Kate's Corner going, you know? So the name was very important, but it came from the two people who speared me on to always be a doer. Kate's Corner is a manifestation of doing what now I know has to be done in order for me to impact early childhood education, for me to be able to be a disruptor in a very constructive way is that I do this work and have a actual hand in touching children every day. I think it's wonderful that I have a curriculum and I think it's wonderful that I have a training and that I focus on giving that information content to our educators. But I think it's even more important that I get to see that what I'm giving actually works. So Kate's Corner really came about with the vision that I would provide services that were a gap in our industry And then I would utilize it as a platform to actually show that if you really paid attention and you really gave educators the space to self-evaluate their own implicit bias, that they would come to the table and perform in great ways for any child at any given time. Kate's Corner is a drop-in child care center. It's the first phase. I call it a phase, but I think it's the first model for Durham Child Care Collaborative, which is our parent company. It will be an amazing space that we're planning to open over in the Golden Belt location and the east side of uh, downtown Durham. And the reason why it has to happen is like there are so many people who are going to come back to this need for childcare, but will be financially still in the space where maybe tuition for the week doesn't make sense. And this provides them kind of a caveat to say, I need to be there for four hours Tuesday, and then I need to be there for eight hours on Friday, but I don't need any care in between. So this allows them to pay as they go, which that structure is so, it's so needed right now. The other thing that Kate's Corner provides is that it also provides those essential workers who work non-traditional hours a place to bring their children if the nanny gets sick or if something happens to their child care center for full service. And it's a great place to come because it is a project-based learning environment. That means that we can do a project and a child can come in for two hours and experience the most greatest experience for those two hours or be there all day and have a great experience. But it is a project-based learning STEM curriculum that allows us to be able to have the greatest of impact with children, whether they're there for two hours or four. 
So that's the work that we're beginning to do is filling in the gaps for our industry with a cultural competence expectation out of our educators. So our listeners know we take copious notes. And even with you, Kate, I'm still taking notes in language. We talk about with our listeners how important language is and having real good understanding, like a real strong understanding about when you talk about justice, you know, what are you saying? What are you asking people to know about this work? justice and education, right? Yeah. And so this next question is really setting you up. So you have really great statistics about expulsion rates and all of that, which Mm -hmm. I hope you'll share at least one of those. But like Mm -hmm. those nuggets are really important because I don't know that our listeners fully understand unless you're in it, right? Or you have a child that to your point, like Andrew, right? Where you're like, that's not my kid. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. What is this? What is Mm -hmm. this bias you're applying to my Mm -hmm. kid? If that's not happening to you, or if you're a white parent, that's your eyes aren't open to that necessarily or your black parent and haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing that you wish people understood about your work yeah. and the problems that you're trying to address? Why is this so important? So I'm going to start with a statistic that is always alarming and it has not been updated, but needs to be because the statistic right now is that 50,000 children in the United States are expelled from preschool a year. And this is only the child care centers that have to report it, meaning they get federal dollars, like a Head Start or something like that. But those centers who are independent, like our friends at Kindercare or La Petite or any of those other large commercial brands, they don't have to report. But I've lived it. So I know that there are many expulsions that happen and it's not of a fault, but it is absolutely implicit bias. So what does that look like in a classroom? Like I gave Andrew as an example, Andrew had a high energy. He loved to move. And instead of understanding the cultural competence around him, meaning you know that African-American children learn by call and receive, you know that uh, African-American children learn by rhythm, by learning, you know, uh, music is a great platform to be able to teach. It keeps them engaged. It is seen as kind of an offset. So the 50,000 children are being expelled. 90% of that is based on them saying that their behaviors are unacceptable. Now, just to give you some point of reference, from zero to five, you are creating your cognitive thought, right? So you can't say that if I do this, this is going to happen when you're three years old. You're learning all about putting things out there and, and what happens and then what consequences are. And you're developing that zero through five. So there's no concrete or cognitive thought going on. So we're labeling children so early and we're saying that they're disruptive and we're not even, this is the exploration time for an educator to get to know who a child is, how do they think, what do they like, those type of things. But because teachers come into this with a lack of understanding that all children don't learn alike, if you're not sitting at that desk, if you look back at our education system, you sit at a desk to learn and you're quiet and your hands are folded. And you're not speaking unless spoken to and you're raising your hand. And it's very systematic. But if you're an African-American child who is in a great big family and everyone talks at the same time and everybody loves, it's, it's a cultural acceptance on how to communicate. So if you don't know the context of, you know, the child, if you don't know the cultural understanding of the child, you tend to have this implicit bias. And that implicit bias is through behavior. But it's also 
if I have a child come in and their mother might be on a voucher, how that, you know, a teacher would know that. I don't know. It makes me cringe that they would. But if a teacher knew that that parent was on a voucher, they might be like, well, he's he's poor. He can't perform at this level. I'm not going to push him. And empathy gets in the way of being able to challenge him like he would normally be challenged and have high expectations of him. So that is the work that is kind of the the hidden underlie, and it is completely killing the love of learning so early in their life that by the time they get to kindergarten, if you're a parent in early childhood and you're three and four and five-year-old going into elementary school, you've been told by the early childhood provider that maybe you should get him tested. He might have ADD. By the time you get him to kindergarten, he's walked into what they call an IEP, right? And he's getting instructional performance help for things that he absolutely probably doesn't need help with. And it's just a misinterpretation. And so by the time he is in the third grade, this IEP is giving him all of these crutches where he's not challenging himself. He's absolutely operating probably at home on a high level and then coming and succumbing to what is expected of him at school. It's also the explicit bias, right? And so when you chastise him for his behavior, he learns to become more dormant. When you chastise him for being present, he learns how to be more dwarfed. Those things happen, and then it begins to chisel away about their confidence. So when you see these reading levels on the third grade and how children of color are so far behind, a lot of that instrumentally will come about in their first experiences in early childhood. So that's my fight. My fight is to take the cover off, share with the educators. It might be intentional or unintentional, but either way, it's damaging, and let's change it. And do it in such a way that by the time we build this bridge that goes from early childhood into K through 12, these children are ready to learn. They're excited and there are no, you know, without a better word, shackles on their minds or their physical bodies to be able to perform on that level. Mm. Thank you. So good. Wow. We talk a lot about changing mental models. Kate, I think you really pressed on this point so well. In past episodes, we've talked about how important it is to shift the question from what do I do to how well do I see? And I think you hone in here on this idea of what you're doing and filling in the gaps of of the education sector is you're educating the educators by helping them to develop the lens, the proper clear lens to see their students clearly and celebrate the fullness of who they are and who they were made to be. Yeah, I think that's a powerful, powerful concept because it's so important. Otherwise, if people aren't seeing correctly, they're going to judge and they're going to rank on a broken scale. And you're helping to fix the scale so that people really do have that proper sight. Yeah. Being a white dad, I can't resonate with what it's like for my child to be seen through the improper lens because of his race. But even just every parent, a small taste of that experience could be you come home and you feel like your kid's being put in a box. He has too much energy. And you're like, you know what? You don't understand my son. You don't know him the way that I know him. I mean, I can't imagine what that is ratcheted up by a thousand when it has all of the back history of the misinterpretation based on culture and based on ethnicity, based on race. But I think everyone listening can have a little bit of empathy, a little bit, just a tiny taste of what that is like. I guess I always encourage our white listeners to try to enter that space a little bit. Try to enter the space of like, can you imagine the experience you've had ratcheted up by a thousand, knowing that your kid might be put in a box? Yeah. Even with empathy being a trigger, we talk about proximity breeding empathy as a good thing. 
you actually saying there's actual dangers in empathy if it's going to cause Absolutely. a teacher to see, to lower the bar and lower the ceiling for your child in a way that doesn't push them to be everything that they could be to reach their potential. And so everything you're sharing is really, you know, if you're a parent listening, how could you not be moved to say, we need to lean into this. This is important work that you're doing. I love it. You know, you're speaking my language when we talk about entrepreneurship and solving problems. Like, yeah, problem, figure out how to solve it. Okay, Kate, let's just we get in time machine. Let's pretend you have a magic wand, whatever we're doing here. Let's magic wand this. So you have a yes. magic wand and childcare is exactly your dream. Like it is exactly the way you've envisioned it. It's what you're working towards around equity, dismantling bias, taking the systems out that hold us back, all the things. What does it look like if you had a magic wand today? What would a perfect childcare setting or early childcare environment look like? And then tell me what's holding that back from it being a reality. Oh, wow. Well, I'll go the physical environment because this concept, I think, is so super important that children experience and have an understanding of a few things. One is that it is a child care center that has a community garden because I, you know, in teaching STEM or STEAM rather, A should stand also for agriculture because I really believe children should be able to understand the concept of how things grow. Mm, and we do a like little that. bit of pieces of that in our curriculums, but I think that it really should be something that they understand of how to take care of a seed, watch it grow, nourish it, and then understand what it means to have abundance at the end if you do those things right. So agriculture and then having a community kitchen, because I believe our children need to understand the needs of their community very early and then have a compare and contrast of their own personal lives versus the lives of someone who may be uh, experiencing homelessness or someone who is going through mental illness or whatever that might be. So those collaborations are really, really important. And when you bring a community kitchen into play, you are showing them that what you take care of and grow can actually feed the community. Community. It can yeah. actually provide something that no one else can provide or it hasn't provided in our food deserts in and around uh, Durham. So it looks like that. Um, it is a curriculum. We call this a kindergarten readiness curriculum, which is a little different from the drop-in project-based curriculum. This curriculum gets them ready for kindergarten. And I see that in this curriculum, there's so much cultural competence, not just recognizing that a child is different, but celebrating that difference, right? Never saying, you know, I don't see color. That's such an Mm -hmm. offensive statement, but seeing everyone's color and celebrating it. To be honest, one of my biggest visions is to be able to see more Black males in this space for those boys so that we can really address that deficit right now. And and have them have mentors really early on in life. And that that vision is that all of our teachers are absolutely aware of their biases, can talk about them openly and have a safe space to do so with no shaming, right? We can only get through this race thing if we give the space for each other to be able to say, I didn't know, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. How do I get there? What do I need to understand? I'm not demanding anyone to go read a book to figure it out. I really want to be able to be the help that people need to have that space. My mother always said, provide the authentic space and you'll have those authentic conversations and you'll have authentic solutions. So that's the visual of what I see. The barrier is, I think, the greatest gift God has given us. And it can be 
the barrier to what we're going to get to. He gave us the gift of choice, right? And some of us just want to hold on to what we know because it feels safe and it feels right and it is not against the grain and we can hold on to it and and not have to evolve. That's probably the biggest barrier that people care enough to see what is actually happening and engage in that change. Our country is showing us now that this is absolutely possible. I think that this generation now is saying enough is enough. But I think this generation coming is going to eradicate it. And I want to equip them with those tools to be able to do so. It's just that we have two generations or one generation prior to this generation who are just making a choice. So if we can just change the minds of those individuals to make the right choice, I think that that whole vision comes alive. Wow. I can't take notes fast enough to write down everything that you're sharing here, Kate. It's, I think that you, you quoted your mom, right, to say that if we provide the authentic space for authentic conversations, it'll lead to authentic solutions. Yeah. And I love that. And I think, I think that, that this idea of this gift of choice, but also can be used towards self-preservation as the biggest barrier, right? Much like empathy, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about things that aren't inherently evil, but oftentimes people see as good, right? People see empathy as a good thing. People see choice as a good thing, but they can be used to choose meeting your own needs exclusively instead of leaning into love your neighbor well, or to, to serve others or to make an impact. And that's exactly what you're doing is you're, you're trying to create a world where we all are looking out for each other and each other's flourishing and we can celebrate our differences and really come together yeah. and, and change that, that lens. So okay, you're 30 years in, right? I mean, you've been doing this work for longer than some of our listeners have been alive, right? I mean, that, right. that is, if that's not wisdom, <laughs> I don't know what is. So when it comes to running the race for as long as you've run it, I want to know what is your why? What fuels you? What gives you hope in the work that you do? Simply the children. It started with my own child. Mm -hmm. It is encompassed with the hundreds of thousands of children that I have cared for over the 30 years that I've been doing this. And then it really, for me, this day and time, I just had the most beautiful bundle of joy be gifted to me as a grandchild in July. And his name is Alumi. And um, my brother was like, well, what does it mean? And I was like, well, what, is, what, what, what do you think it means? <laughs> it's Illumi, that he'll illuminate the world. He will be the next generation. He'll be all of the change. So simply, it's the children. It's the need that they have. And I think, secondly, it's the parents. I love to take a parent out of a situation of thinking they should know. Like if anyone wrote a book, that said, here's the way you do parenting and you get the perfect child. I need that book, right? I, mm -hmm. I need that book. Me so I, <laughs> I just, I like love bringing a parent to a place where they understand mistakes. Mistakes can be made. It's the intent your children mm -hmm. see, the mm -hmm. heart that your children see. And I have, as my children are now grown and I really exercise that muscle a lot, even now. I'll say, you know what? I didn't do that right. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And really, that's really what it comes down to is, is them seeing you as a human. So I love to give that gift for our parents. So parent advocacy is a big part of that. And just seeing that come alive and then seeing the interaction of a parent and a child change 
I used to laugh mm. all the time. In the center, Monday mornings were always hard. Those were the hardest times in childcare because all of our educators are trying to level set with the children and say, wait a minute, like we just like, we're, why don't you know how to wash your hands first or hang this up first, right? They've been in two days of kind of lax situation where maybe sometimes routine uh, wasn't a part of the household, right? And then we get them back and we have to restructure them all together. And I'm like, this is the space where I would hear parents in my lobby say, I'm going to go get Miss Kaziah. I'm going to go tell Miss Kaziah. <laughs> and I, I would come in that space like, oh, no, uh-uh, I cannot. I'm not the bad guy. Never am I the bad guy with these children. Right. But showing them that less and less do you have to use my name and more and more you ask them open ended questions. You give them choices. Mm -hmm. And as you might foster temperament, like, hey, I'm really losing my patience here. And I, I know that you need to make this choice, but I really need you to do it quickly. They are so in tune with that. So just seeing that come together is super important to me. And I think that those are the things that just keep sparing me to do this work. Noting that the last thing, but probably the heaviest and foundational thing is to see the children that don't get it to see the children who do not get an experience in early childhood, to see children running around in Durham in the street and not, you know, not having protection, seeing the lack of opportunity. I don't call it the, you know, academic gap for children. It's opportunity. Them having access is huge. And so it's, it's just the visualization of what I mm -hmm. see needs to happen. And it just spurs me there. So good. See, Durham is, so this is so good. We have great people doing great things in our community. And I know other yeah. communities do too, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not in those communities. I'm in Durham. <laughs> so, hey, I'm so grateful for your heart, for our, our families and our kids and for my own son, you know, Kate yeah, was right there when I had my little bear. He's 18. So Kate was right there. Um, and I can, and so I can kind of attest to her, drumbeat her whole life around this. The language that she uses, the the sincerity around this work has been there forever. I mean, as long as I've known her. And I've seen it manifest with my son and her coaching and guidance when I was raising him, especially when he was a baby, what that was like. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. great. So good. All right, Kate. Well, this is where we kind of take our listeners to the end of the podcast. We always like to do this in a way that allows our listeners to know what you need how they could engage with you or this work more directly. You know, if there's a practical takeaway that could be supportive, either with Kate's Corner, justice and education in general, just like what would you want our listeners to take away from today that they could show up for? The show up is really important. Kate's Corner is doing this pivotal work and this essential work in this lat like these few months to really set a stage for support for DPS. And I think that the actionary part of it is calling and saying, how do I get involved? What do you need? We will be taking on foster children, people who are in the children who are in our homeless shelters locally. We'll be taking in children who have been at McDougal Terrace. Can you imagine that the beginning of the year you're displaced Maybe the friends who were your friends are the children who passed away in that situation. And then you're moved to a remote space that's in a hotel where you don't have play space. You don't have all the things that are kind of more normal for you to have. And then you're put back into the space only for COVID to come, 
right? And then when COVID comes, then you have to do remote learning and, and, and your parents are experiencing this all along right with you. So our goal is to be able to service those children who need it the most. And so when you think about that, you think about the whole child and you think, yes, they need an academic space to come to. Yes, they need the technology to do the work, but they need so much more. They need to be loved on right now. They need to be doted on. They need to be, it needs to be set apart. So that is the goal that we're trying mm-hmm. to lift. My partners have been in business a little longer than I. So we literally lifted this project with people who said, what do I do? Let me write a check. Let Go get the furniture down at Ikea on Saturday, right? And drive it back and put it together on Sunday. Like, go do the things. And we've done them because people have stepped up. So my challenge is to have the Durham community step up in this way and really embrace those children in the circumstances that they're in and help us facilitate an amazing program in the next few months. Long-term, get involved. You can have a child or not have a child. But if you've gotten through half of your parenting without screaming and hollering at your children, you're a great parent and you need to share your information or just share your experience. We will have some parent focused groups as we get into the programming a little bit more. So if you have a gift or a skill set, whether it's in finance or legal or entrepreneurship or just health and wellness and centering, you know, getting your chakras right, I don't care what it is. If you have a gift that you can give back to these students, we're looking for partners to come and help us do some amazing programming during this time. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah, there's a buffet of resources, ways people can leverage time, talent, treasure, whatever it is they have. But is your website, katescornerdurham.com is the best place to go to direct people to to get involved? Right. So uh, Kate's Corner, www.katescornerdurham.com lets you register, get to know what we're doing. If you have something that you want to contribute, Kate at katescornerdurham.com is my email address. It is the absolute best way to get in touch with me. Come straight to my phone. And if you want to get involved, we'll definitely give you a call back sooner than later. And we will uh, try to incorporate you into this great program. Love it. Oh, just a point of clarification. Kate Corner, Kate Corner, two Ks. So just that yes, word, send me an email. It's Kate with a K. Corner with a K. Yes. Yeah. Corner so, with a K. That is Corner with a K. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. I know you're busy and now you, you're doing such amazing work. And we want to let you get back to it. But we just wanted to pause here to say th- thank you for our listeners. Find a way to lean in. Get on the website today and figure out what it looks like for you to lean in to the work that Kate's doing. She can't do this alone, although she's been laboring at this for a really long time. In order to see that vision happen, we need co-laborers. And so get online, shoot her an email, bell corner with a K, get in there and get to work. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much. Thank you so much yeah, for having awesome. me, guys. It's been great. Mm-hmm. It's been great. Thank Love you, you all. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, Kate. Well, Jeff, I'd love to hear, I mean, this has got to be come a full circle for you, right? I mean, to be able to hear from a friend that, you know, you're already so well-versed in this work, what stood out to you in that interview that maybe re-challenged you or she said something the way you've heard before, but now you're hearing with, with fresh ears? You know, it's it's interesting. I'm really proud of her and not in a parent-child way, but just in a watching someone who has stayed so consistent over three decades. I admire this consistent drumbeat, consistent journey around childcare, her consistent love and empathy for parents, 
and for families and understanding journeys, individual journeys of kids. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that person. And so when I see her over 30 years, I mean, I love my son and I love kids and all that, but I mean, she's like rooted in this work. I mean, this is, this is why she wakes up in the morning. And um, after 30 years, she's been talking about this and wondering about it and trying to get language around it. And then, and then she gets validated around these implicit bias and the, the challenges that exist within the system of childcare as we know it today. And so for her to come in and say, yes, and I'm going to disrupt that, it disrupted by naming a thing a thing. And we're going to have our teachers be in a space where they can talk about it openly and with, with freedom to be wrong and, and to learn. I mean, that's just revolutionary. I mean, it seems like obviously that's what should happen, but I mean, it's not. I would think in the last, what, year, people are starting to use words that they wouldn't have used a year ago because they would have been afraid to say white supremacy or systems or deeply rooted racist systems, right? But people are saying those things now. And Kate's like, yeah, we're going to bring it into childcare because we don't want it to be the elephant in the room. We're going to talk about it so that our kids have the equity that they deserve in the classroom. And I just, I love that she's on this sort of crusade around it. And I think this is a different conversation, but it's certainly around just the Just Podcast can bring this to life, is the journey that she had to get here today. As a Black woman coming into an entrepreneurial space, trying to convince a community to invest in her, this is not easy. And that's a whole different level of like the barriers that it takes to bring something like this to life, to change a community. You have to be well-funded. You have to have investor support. You have to have a reputation. She came from Cincinnati to Durham. Didn't know, no one knew her. She had to be introduced. There's a lot. It doesn't just pop out of nowhere. I mean, she's been doing this for two years. And she's finally at the point where now she can have direct impact on our kids. But, but there's been times, and she would tell you this, that she didn't think it was ever going to happen. I don't think you realized you were doing this, but I think you were trademarking a phrase, Jess, of, you know, let's, let's magic wand this. I think I literally heard you say that earlier. <laughs> and I got to come back around and bring that up because that's an amazing phrase. We need to use that again. You're talking about, as you're saying this, it is two part because when I think of Kate, she's so clearly a pioneer and that mm-hmm. you're right. She was doing this work and talking about it before. You know, we're just now coming to terms as a society with things that she's been wrestling with for decades. Decades. Right? And yet still... As she's trying to tackle implicit bias in the education system, she's running up to her own challenges as a woman of color, right? As a black woman trying to get the funding to be able to fund it because she's running into those walls herself as she's trying to champion for that same change. And so this thing is layered. We talk about the roots of this. What she embodies is both someone who is championing a problem and being willing to go to bat for the solution with this marathon's approach. And it's just inspirational to me. And for me, my takeaways, I mean, she did this so early on in in our conversation of making it real by talking about her son, the power of telling a story like that, because, you know, you hear the stat, like 50,000 kids in the United States are expelled Mm -hmm. from preschool, 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 like better, better documented. Preschool are (laughs) three-year-olds and four-year-olds guys. Like, that number could just roll over your head real fast. But then when she talks about her son, she talks about Andrew and says, this was my experience. I entered into her story, even though I couldn't fully empathize. It was a moment for me. I'm like, you let me in. And I think she does that with such truth combined with grace, because while she's not pulling punches, 
it's so inspiring to hear the grace that she, she holds space for people to say, I don't know at right. the same time. I love that. Jess, I mean, what a perfect embodiment of the values of this podcast in that we don't pull punches, but also this is meant to be a bridge building platform. And Kate is out there building bridges in our community because she's telling the truth, but she's doing it in a way that she's inviting others in and she's not penalizing them. You know, she's not embodying cancel culture to say, if you're not a nine or 10 on the woke scale, you, you get out of here. Like she's holding space for people to be able to walk on this journey with her and showing grace for people who maybe don't see clearly yet. And that just, that inspires me. And I know it's, it's got to be an inspiration to our listeners. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I hope they enjoyed it. I mean, she's just fun to listen to and she's so genuinely authentic that it feels good to know that we have that type of leadership in our community. And if you're not in a Durham community, you know, those people like Kate that champion good work are around you. Find them, right? Get inspired by them, help them because there are people who wake up, like I said, every morning and are trying to, to better those around them in whatever that looks like, whatever their gifts are, whatever their purpose are. And one thing we can do in a pandemic, I think, and how we can show up is like, get on a discovery path, find those people. That's the way you help. We help. We don't help by isolating ourselves, staying siloed, staying around what's familiar. What we can do is, you know, if you have a passion for young people or children, find the people in your community that also share that passion. And if they're doing the work that you can't because you're an accountant or you're in finance or you're doing other things, you know, you've got a different professional career, but that's your passion. You don't have to sit on a board necessarily. You can just help them, like write a check, show up and volunteer, you know, align yourself with your passions and purpose and find the people that are championing it every day. And that amplifies the work rather than just talk about it. Look for the helpers. And Kate yeah. is one of those helpers. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. All right. We'll see you next week. This has been amazing. Once again. Thanks, friend. Until next time. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I just had dreams of being this lawyer in power suits. Ultimately, I came to realize that the only way to be Sharonda Free was going to be through clemency from the president. Reform is such a hot topic. It's popular now. But what amazes me is how little people really know about how the system works. 